Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for spending this time with me. I can't wait to get things started. Rob Blue is my opening guest, as he always is on Tuesday. I always look forward to finding out what's going on in Washington, D.C., and all the news that's uh, fit to be heard. I get it from Rob. And then uh, Pastor Greg Gilbert's going to be with me, and then we're going to spend hour two talking to Brian DeVries. We're talking about uh, science and faith. It's going to be a great hour. The whole, the whole show's going to be great. So let me take uh, my little 60-second break, and then I will be back with Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Here's a helpful tip from Dr. Linda Mintel on what you can do when you're feeling fearful. That's really the key because you do have to do something physical because your body is tensing up in that fear reaction. Mm -hmm. So the best thing you can do is use some type of relaxation technique. Maybe you can do some deep breathing. Maybe if your mind is really afraid, you can go and meditate on the Word of God. Or you can do something very physical like tense your muscle, then relax your muscle. That's something called progressive muscle relaxation Mm -hmm. or any kind of calming method that you might know to help relax your body. This is important because you want to stop that automatic response of becoming tense and anxious when fear hits. And you can literally train your body to relax in order to turn off that fear response and that anxiety response. You can't feel fear when you're practicing relaxation. Hear more from Dr. Linda Mintel at MyFaithRadio.com. Under the program tab, click on the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. You better believe that music means Rob Bluey is on the show. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Always look forward to our discussions with Rob. Rob, welcome back, and happy Tuesday. It's great to be great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's so much to talk about, and I want to first start with the Coronavirus Commission, and what's the latest with that? Well, yes, and of course, today was a big day in Washington with Dr. Fauci and others yes. testifying, so we can get, uh, get to their comments as well. But uh, the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, which the Heritage Foundation launched in early April, uh, has been hard at work. Uh, last week, we released 179 recommendations uh, to make sure that we're reopening our country both safely but also expeditiously. We think that there are uh, a great number of counties and communities that uh, are probably ready to reopen with uh, safety precautions in place. There are still hotspots throughout our country, of course, that are, aren't quite at that stage yet. But the commission wants to put forward guidance to governors, to local leaders, uh, to federal officials and the private sector, uh, religious leaders included, so that they can begin to make those decisions and take the steps necessary uh, that they can return America back to as close to what it was before uh, we had had COVID-19. Of course, we'll never quite be back to uh, that situation ever again, I'm afraid, Bill, because, you know, there's always going to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that we're going to have to do to keep ourselves safe, washing our hands, probably things we should have been doing before, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, you know, just just making sure we weren't spreading germs and getting others sick. Yeah. And I love the brain power that's associated with the Coronavirus uh, Commission. 
And my listeners can go to coronaviruscommission.com to learn more about that. So what did we uh, learn from Dr. Fauci today? I did not see him testify. Yes, well, Dr. Fauci was on uh, on remote or, or a virtual testimony. Uh, he did not appear in person, and in fact, uh, you even had some senators like Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, who uh, who is self uh, quarantining because somebody on his staff uh, tested positive. So, uh, Dr. Fauci's big message today was a warning that we can't reopen uh, too soon or too quickly uh, because you know there could be needless suffering and death, as he told the New York Times last night. Um, one of the things that uh, that came out in today's today's testimony was, you know, just what that balance is supposed to be like. And I think that this is one of those things when you talk to a doctor or public health officials, I think they're always going to be more cautious than others. Uh, they would probably extend the lockdowns and uh, and keep people quarantined uh, for longer periods of time until they felt it was was truly safe. Um, I think what you're trying, what you're seeing at the White House, what you're seeing with these public health officials, and what you're also seeing with others who are concerned about the public health consequences that come with an economic shutdown. Uh, Because let's face it, Bill, there are other public health concerns, whether it be mental health or depression, um, you know, all all of the other things that that come along with it. And so there was a lot of talk about that today, uh, including one particular exchange between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci about uh, about children and whether or not, uh, you know, it was appropriate to keep schools closed. I know that some states have already made that decision, including Virginia, where my kids go. Um, so, you know, they won't be going back to school until the fall at the earliest. But uh, but yes, definitely uh, some hardships that, that families are facing as a result of, of what these uh, lockdowns have caused. I did hear a little bit of Susan Collins talking and asking about you know, what dentists uh, want to get back to work. And she was saying a, a simple cavity becomes can become, you know, a root canal and a root canal can become an extraction. And it's one of those things that can be, uh, you know, we need to take care of that as well. There's a lot of things right now that is just on hold. Bill, this is one of the most important recommendations coming out of the commission's work. Uh, we said, first and foremost, these governors need to get the doctor's offices and the dental offices open again because there are preventative health measures that all of us as Americans are accustomed to taking. And we, we frankly, have, have maintained a fairly healthy society as a result of getting our annual physicals and going to the dentist every six months. And when those things don't happen, you're absolutely correct that we find ourselves in a situation where there are other health risks, uh, non-COVID related, uh, that will start to take their toll on us. So I was very uh, pleased to see the governor of Virginia, uh, my current home state, where, uh, where he reopened dental offices last week. And in fact, I already uh, had a cleaning uh, nice. with my two children with my two children they had they had one scheduled last week so we were able to go uh, to the dentist and get their teeth clean and i'll tell you they had all sorts of health measures in place i was confident uh, they made us sit in the parking lot until they were ready for us to come in so we were the only ones in the in the waiting area uh, they took us immediately back to the room we all wore masks uh, the they were very careful in terms of their handling of everything uh, as you would expect a dentist to do sure. be, you know on a normal occasion but uh, but I think that these med- medical offices know what they're doing, and I think we, we as Americans should have confidence that they can get back to doing what they do. Now, when it comes to just dining out at a restaurant, I think there are probably going to be changes that you see. There, there's probably not going to be – there are going to be capacity issues, and uh, some will choose to continue to do takeout primarily as their business. But, but I think this is where we need to rely on the p- private sector and not necessarily look to government for all the answers. Rob, how long are, can we continue to ignore people that have uh... – 
uh, screenings that they need to go to and, and, and chemotherapy and some of the other procedures that need to get done for their own health and well-being. You know, what price well, we, do we, we start to pay for that? It, it, we we do we will pay pay a big price right. and in, in fact I think there there are um, there there are certainly ramifications to to not taking those steps and that's why I think it's uh, I I've I'm glad that some of the the governors and the local leaders are are moving swiftly to to make sure that those medical needs are met um, we've already seen some other consequences though I mean we we see these sharp spikes in the sale of of alcohol and drugs, for instance, and uh, and people not going to work or maybe they've been laid off have resorted to to doing things that uh, maybe some of the vices in our life that um, you know that lead to other problems. And so, so Bill, I think that that you know, like I said earlier, we're we're probably not going to go back to normal anytime soon. Uh, one of the things Dr. Fauci also said today was he gave an update on the vaccine, and I was encouraged by his optimism on a vaccine. But I also think that, uh, you know, when it comes to a vaccine, there's still a lot of unknowns, and we shouldn't put all of our cards uh, in, in necessarily a vaccine. So uh, we're hopeful that we'll see a vaccine soon, uh, maybe in the fall. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's uh, still a long ways off. So in the meantime, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to stay safe. And that includes wearing the mask out uh, if you're going to the grocery store or in public. That includes uh, washing your hands frequently, uh, disinfecting. I know that a lot of employers are looking at telework as, uh, as an extended option. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, you know, well, they do that. Not every employer, though, has the benefit of doing that. A lot of them are manufacturing and they'll need to have people there in their plants or factories doing the work. Yeah, Rob, was there any talk of a delay to school starting next fall? Well, again, that's going to be a decision that's that's primarily handled at the state or local level, um, and and the, for good reason. We don't necessarily want the federal government uh, intervening in in local matters. But uh, yeah, there has already started to be, become talk about that. I know uh, that uh, there is concern that children, uh, while they don't necessarily present the, themselves with a lot of symptoms, uh, they um, th- th- there haven't been a, a lot of, of deaths, fortunately, among among kids. Uh, frankly, among those who who are under the age of 55. Uh, most of the, the COVID-related deaths are those uh, who, who are, are older in our population, particularly uh, hard hit are those nursing homes. And we just pray for, for all of those individuals. Um, but Bill, I'll have to tell you, um, you know, I think that one of the concerns with children is that could they spread it and bring it home uh, to their parents or grandparents and then put them at risk? So I think that that's one of the things that you need to look at. Um, however, I do think our kids are suffering as a result of schools being ill-prepared prepared uh, for this pandemic and not necessarily have every, having everything in place when it comes to, to virtual learning. Yeah, that's, um, and I'm thinking also that there's now talk that the Major League Baseball could open up in early July, which I know makes you and me happy, um, but it would add some uh, nor- normalcy back to life if we start to see things like that emerge. That's certainly true. I, I was very pleased to to see that report, uh, and I think even if you do so without any fans in the stadium, it still gives people an outlet that they can turn to for something other than than COVID related news. Um, so yes, uh, that that is a positive sign. I still think that uh, you'll be seeing those major league baseball clubs taking precautions to make mm-hmm. sure that the players are safe. And I also think that you're, start, you're you, you will start to see employers uh, move back into a situation where they're allowing people to. Return 
return to work or they're going to permanently change their policies. Twitter, uh, as a company, just announced today, for instance, that any employee that wants to can work from home forever. They don't ever have to return wow. to the office. So maybe you'll see employers move to a model like that uh, where the working from home just becomes a regular part of the routine. Uh, again, not all employees are able to be in a position like that, though. Some require hands-on work, and they'll need to do so in a facility that probably is going to have to do things like temperature checks when people enter the door or, or require them to wear masks uh, during their job. Mm-hmm. Rob, have you seen uh, equal energy from both sides of the aisle to get back to work? Uh, definitely not. Uh, in fact, I think there's a pronounced difference uh, between whether you call it conservatives and liberals or mm-hmm. Republicans and Democrats. I think that uh, the public polling shows that this is the case as well. Uh, for instance, uh, there was an, a, a new poll out today from Axios and Ipsos that showed uh, that on the issue of contact tracing, for instance, that's contact tracing is where uh, you you there's old fashioned contact tracing where you know you might come in contact with somebody, you learn that that person uh, at a later date uh, has tested positive, and uh, and then you try to pin together, you know, who who you came into contact with and make sure that all those people know that, you know, they may be at risk and they should either self-isolate or quarantine themselves. Then there's digital contact tracing, which is where, you know, Google or an Apple will will follow. Well, Bill, there's a significant difference uh, on that issue as well between Republicans and Democrats. And so I think that this is one of the things that makes it harder. We still are a politically divided country, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore people take starkly different uh, approaches to, to how they want to reopen our country. Yeah, I'm Rob Lewis, my guest. We'll take a little break and be right back. Welcome back. Awfully nice to talk to Rob Bluey on Tuesdays, executive editor of The Daily Signal. There's a good piece at thedailysignal.com on the uh, investigation continuing on the Flynn exoneration. That's quite a story, Rob. Yes. Well, in the midst of all of this other news, uh, for, for Michael Flynn uh, to, to finally get the justice that he deserves, uh, uh, what was quite a surprise, uh, definitely has caught the attention of, of President Trump, who has indicated that he'd like to even see Michael Flynn return to government, perhaps. So, so Bill, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a big issue for this president. Remember, this was one of the first things that he confronted upon taking office I remember in that. 2017. So, yeah, so he's, uh, he's not forgetting it anytime soon. Yeah, what has faded from my memory was that he was a uh, he lied to vice president pence do i have that right that was the accusation okay. yes and, and even mike even mike pence has come out to suggest that uh that, you know he thinks that what happened to michael flynn was unfair so uh definitely a situation that uh that we're, we're going to follow the justice department of course uh, as all your listeners uh, might remember, last week announced that it was uh, it was dropping uh, the case. So, so Michael Flynn definitely uh, finding himself in quite a different position than he did a few years ago. And it seems like there's uh, not everybody's happy about that. The left seems uh, oh no very upset that justice has not been served or followed through on and. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Nadler, who um, who heads the uh, one of one of the top Democrats in in the U.S. House, so it was quite critical of of what happened. Um, but I think you know the situation that Michael Flynn was was put through uh, by the FBI and James Comey 
uh, you know, certainly uh, adds another black eye to, to to the law enforcement officials of our country who are charged with uh, doing what's right, but but didn't uphold uh, those standards in this case. So mm-hmm. I, I think that James Comey, uh, for for all that the left uh, you know holds him up uh, in in their criticism of President Trump, I, again, uh, it's it's really um, unbecoming and and disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, colleague Andrew Kerr wrote a great story at the Daily at DailySignal.com about 18 attorney generals demand congressional probe into how China willfully misled the world. How do you think that's going to go? Well, I, uh, first of all, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to get China to to own up and ad- admit its <laughs> faults. Uh, we we, right. we we know that China China is is not transparent. Uh, it, it, from the very beginning, it, it tried to hide information, and there were three critical weeks where it didn't share information uh, with the international community that could have made a big difference in combating. Uh, COVID-19 and think about how many lives may have been saved uh, had President Trump had that information and been able to close down travel even sooner than than he did. And so I think that it's worthwhile, of course, for these attorney generals to to demand uh, this action. But uh, but I'm not hopeful that, uh, that the Chinese are going to cooperate with anything. I, I think it's important that President Trump keeps the pressure up, though, on the Chinese. And uh, and it's one of those things that I think in the course of this this whole episode, uh, as President Trump has, you know, even prior to this, put a focus on China, the American people are now seeing uh, quite clearly that the Chinese did mislead the world about this. Mm -hmm. Rob, the uh, mail-in vote system is getting a lot of um, momentum right now. I think, uh, is is it Gavin Newsom from California that wants that to happen? And isn't that a big threat to ballot integrity? Thank you for bringing this up, Bill. Mm-hmm. This is one of the the biggest issues that I think we're we're facing. Um, you know, outside of the the, the public health and and, and medical um, and economic issues related to COVID nineteen, we shouldn't forget about election integrity. We mm-hmm. are, in fact, uh, in an election year, presidential election year. There's a lot of votes voting taking place uh, today. For instance, uh, California does have a special election. It's hotly contested. Uh, I believe that there are there's another race in Wisconsin today and 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 Nebraska. So uh, people are still voting. Um, and they're doing so in, in ways that, that are quite different from what they're accustomed to in the past. And I think the mail-in voting system uh, does have some flaws. Uh, it, there, We have over 1,200 cases, almost 1,300 cases now of proven voter fraud in the United States uh, at the Heritage Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, we, where we're collecting them in a database. And uh, and, and there are several instances where this, uh, this does take place. So we need to be careful, particularly as we head toward this, uh, what's likely to be a closely contested presidential election. And this is why we don't nationalize our elections, why we, we, we expect states and localities uh, to make those decisions and, uh, and, and handle them. And I think there's a, a final issue here when it comes to, you know, I don't want to be the one to pile on the Postal Service, but there is concern that, uh, you know, oftentimes you, you'll get a neighbor's mail or you won't get the mail to show up uh, when you're expecting it to. And so I don't know that we should put all of our faith into a system uh, that relies on the Postal Service to to get us uh, our, our voting. Uh, that's just something that I, I would personally prefer to do in person. Now, I know that when you do absentee voting by mail, it feels like it's a pretty legitimate vote, but... If you start to collect votes and you see ones you don't like, you can just kind of throw them away, can't you? 
Certainly. And and remember, there was this controversy in, in the midterm election in 2018 about ba- ballot harvesting in California. In fact, Orange County went from a, a heavily Republican county in California, just south of Los Angeles, to, to all Democrats taking over. And ballot harvesting was cited as one of the reasons, um, and which was which was, again, uh, you know, done in a way that uh, that certainly seemed to disadvantage one side, which was Republicans in this case. So I think that there are people who will always try to game the system. We know that that is the case. And uh, and, and certainly there there's a situation where, where things could accidentally get lost in the mail and uh, and therefore it could have an impact on the outcome of an election. It's an issue that we, we consider a priority at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, it's among some of the several ways that vote fraud, voter fraud is becoming a, a central focus um, in this 2020 campaign. Mm-hmm. Rob, when you get a, an episode like what's going on in the world right now, this pandemic, and I know there's a lot of people that say, let's try to move our agenda forward. And when I start to hear of um, this idea of, of basic income for people, I start to think, oh, that's just a really horrible idea. Yeah, well, you know, we uh, we have people who think that this is a time uh, never let a crisis go to waste. So mm-hmm. they will propose things like universal basic income, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal. I mean, you name it, Bill. There uh, there are proposals out there to implement those in Congress right now. Uh, when it comes to universal basic income, of course, this was a, a centerpiece of Andrew Yang's presidential campaign. He was a Democratic that, presidential yeah. candidate, and he uh, he really put this front and center. So uh, it, it gained some traction because he did have a loyal following. But I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, You know, this country was built on on hard work and determination. And if we have people who can expect to be get a paycheck from the government and not have to do anything, I think that some of those consequences we were talking about earlier in the program, uh, those health consequences, you'll start to see uh, come true. I don't like the idea of universal basic income. I think you should 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 earn it. Uh, I think that w- w- what we've seen in welfare programs, when we have tie work to welfare, it is successful because it gives people a meaning and purpose in life. And so I would uh, strongly encourage us to go in that direction as opposed to the other. Mm-hmm. So any speculation as to when you think we're going to uh, start to feel like we're back in the rhythm of life? Well, I, I think as you talked about earlier, if we start to see sports come back in July, yeah. uh, maybe that's a, an opportunity to, to have some uh, semblance of, of, of normalcy. Uh, but uh, I think it's probably going to be – I think the American people will be fully confident and comfortable once a vaccine is, is on the market and they're able to, to take those steps. The other thing that could happen is uh, we could have a situation where uh, these immunity tests come out and, mm-hmm. we, and Americans can now test whether they're immune from COVID-19 and feel more confident. Confident. Uh, the polls seem to suggest right now, Bill, that we, we have a ways to go before the American people feel con- fully confident again. And so that's why I think it's important that we continue to take those health and safety measures, uh, put them in place. And particularly for those most vulnerable in our population, those who are older or who have underlying health conditions, they need to be extra cautious and we need to be extra cautious around them. Yeah. Just one last question, Rob. Did the kids have any cavities? <laughs> no cavities. In fact, the teeth looked great. <laughs> so we were very, very pleased to, to come out of the dentist office. Now, now uh, my dentist office is in Washington, D.C., Bill, so I'm still waiting for my cleaning. I will have to say Washington's mayor has not yet allowed those businesses to reopen yet. So this just goes to show that it's uh, it's almost, uh, you know, county by county or yeah. state by state for sure in terms of how they're doing this. Yeah, I get mine in about a week and a half and I can hardly wait. Rob, thanks so much. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, Bill. It's great, great to be with great you. Great to talk to you. Rob Bluey's been my guest executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head to dailysignal.com. We'll take a little break, and when we come back, Pastor Greg Gilbert will join us. Welcome back to the show. Greg Gilbert's my guest. He's the senior pastor of Third Avenue Baptist in Louisville, Kentucky. I hope I said that right. I know there's different ways to say it, but Greg, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you. You almost got the, the name of my city right. Yeah, say it for You're me. really close. Say it for me. Louisville. 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 It's like two and a half syllables. Okay. Louisville. <laughs> All right. And you also uh, are a regular contributor on the Gospel Coalition, and you've written several books. Uh, the one I want to talk about today, when we get to it, is called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. But I want to talk about uh, the gospel. What is the gospel? I know that we are all asked that question in our Christian walk, and people say, well, what is the gospel? What would be your three-minute answer? Yeah, the gospel is uh, the good news that even though we all as human beings are rebels against God, we uh, rebel against him every day of our lives and all the way down to the bottom of our hearts. But in spite of that, God in his love uh, uh, sent his son Jesus to become human and live the life we should have lived from the very beginning, die the death that we deserve for our sins, and then rise again so that by faith, if we are united to him, we can rise right along with him to newness of life and the hope of the resurrection. I love that, and I love the passage. I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15 that um, talks about Jesus uh, being crucified, buried, and on the third day he rose again. What a perfect description of the gospel. Yeah, that's what, uh, you know, that's 15, I believe, t- 3 through 5 or something like that. So Paul says— Yeah, I couldn't find it fast enough. Yeah, here it is. This thing of first importance, right? This yes. is what I delivered to yes. you and what you received, that Christ, died, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was raised— uh, uh, and then that he, he appeared to, uh, Peter and then, and the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. And then that it, it is on that, which you believe and put your faith and trust in and cling to and rely upon and have allegiance to, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Faith is, uh, faith means to trust, to rely. And so when you become a Christian, what you're saying is I have sized Jesus up, right? I've considered his claims. I've considered uh, who he says he is and what he says he can do. And I think that's true. And therefore, I'm going to lean on it for salvation. I'm not going to lean on myself or my own good works. I'm going to lean on him and trust him to save me. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways in which people respond to this gospel message. I don't know what it was like for you, Greg, but I'd love to hear. For me, I think it was this kind of this rash of reason came over me. And I heard this and I thought, are you, what? Are you telling me that I can have assurance of my eternity? What? It's like, that's yeah. like the best news I've ever heard. Yeah, it's an incredible thing, isn't it? Just to, to be able to leave it in the hands of Jesus to do the work to save you and just realize, you know, not only, you know, can you not ever earn God's favor, but you, you've already forfeited it. Like you've already lost the game. So Jesus is the only one who can win it. So it's amazing to be able to leave it in his hands. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about uh, the, the way in which people understand they have been saved— uh, what do you most frequently hear from people? Because, you know, you, yeah, sometimes well, you hear people that say, well, I was raised in a Christian family. Well, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but what if you were raised in a Mormon family? Then you'd probably be a Mormon. Yeah, that's right. I mean, most human beings, I mean, every other human religion in, in the world, right, it, uh, uh, starts out with the premise 
that you have to earn your way into salvation one way or another. Uh, so maybe that's by doing good things. Maybe that's by, you know, fulfilling the, the five pillars. Maybe that's by emptying your mind and, and ultimately getting rid of desires and making it onto nirvana. But whatever it is, the human heart is just hardwired to think that it has to earn its own salvation. So, Greg, I, I would love for you, too, to talk about uh, sin and how if we don't recognize ourselves as sinners, how are we ever going to understand the gospel? Well, you, you won't, right? I mean, the, the first step in understanding the good news of salvation through Jesus is understanding the bad news uh, that we stand condemned as rebels before the judge of all the earth. So if, if that has never sort of made it into your consciousness, if you don't, if you don't have a sense of that, you're never, ever, ever going to understand why God sent his son uh, to die. It just, it just flat won't make sense until you have a, a strong felt doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens to a person who feels uh, fairly independent from God most of their life, and all of a sudden something happens in their life? Maybe it's a pandemic, and they start to think, boy, my life could end any day. I could end up in a hospital in intensive yeah. care where my loved ones couldn't even visit me. And yeah. then what? Um, yeah, well, I mean, for, first of all, it's just a, it, it's a wonderful thing when uh, a person's eyes are opened and they realize, you know, whether all of a sudden or over a bit of time that this life is not all there is, you know, because what, what the devil wants to do and what our own sinful hearts want to do to us is put our eyes on the things of this world and just run out the clock on us. So it's a, it's a wonderful grace of God when he sort of takes the scales off our eyes and lets us see beyond ourselves, beyond this life into eternity. Um, and then when that happens, that's when people start seeking around for somebody uh, to answer their questions, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, if the Lord brings them into contact with somebody who understands the gospel of Jesus, uh, then the lights can start coming on real, real quickly. You know, it's been my observation, and this is just a personal thing, uh, with all the shutdown that's been going on, I realized that I like distractions, and there's lots of them out there. Yeah, yeah, huge. I mean, the world is just the world is just full of it. And in our our own day and age here at the you know beginning of the the twentieth century, there are more distractions than there have ever been before. I mean, every single one of us has a little distraction machine. Oh yeah, uh, almost surgically connected to our hands. You know? Oh right. And if you also think of just distractions that you consider legitimate ones, like, well, I've had a long day. I think I might spend two hours watching a baseball game tonight. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And you realize yeah, that well, it's a distraction. It's entertainment. It might be uh, relaxing, but it's still a distraction. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the Bible is pretty clear with us that there's there's nothing wrong with, with rest and with taking a break or watching a, ba- a baseball game or if, if those were even happening these days. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, but you can certainly turn that into an idol. You can turn it into a, a, a something more than just a, a godly kind of rest. It can become, like you say, a distraction. Uh, a waste of time and ultimately a waste of of life if it goes too far. Yeah. So always keep the main thing, the main thing. And then when you've uh, obviously take time for entertainment and, and for recreation and things that uh, help you unwind a little bit and just keep yeah, them in, pers- keep them in a perspective. Yeah I, think so. yeah. I love, I love sports. I love the watching Louisville Cardinals football and basketball and baseball, all of it. I, I love it. So this, uh, this pandemic thing with no sports is about to kill me. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. I'm just kind of craving um turning on the TV and watching a good game. <laughs> the marble racing and all that on ESPN isn't, isn't quite doing it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But uh, 
I love uh, I love sports. So um, once we understand the gospel message and we understand that we are sinners in need of salvation, then we start to start our our journey, our sanctification journey of living out our faith. And I know just hosting a radio show that I hear from people all the time, Greg, that say, yeah, but maybe even though I'm a Christian, maybe I've messed up enough that God doesn't like me anymore or doesn't have me on his A-list anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I think there can be a lot of causes for that kind of, that kind of thought. I, one of the main causes of that though, is that, uh, uh, there is, there, there's still remaining in us, uh, even after we become Christians, a tendency for us to subtly shift our faith from Jesus to self. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of, uh, looking at the, the fruits of sanctification rightly and in a biblical way, we, we make certain mistakes looking at those fruits and fruits and looking for those fruits. Um, and as our faith begins to shift a little bit back towards self and back toward pride, um, we can find our assurance weakening. I, w- because, I find that all the true. Reason, the, yes. The reason for that, of course, is because, because if we're looking for, uh, if we're trying to find assurance by looking at ourselves, we're not going to find it because we are by nature wishy-washy and, and, you know, double-minded and, and half-hearted and all the rest of it. And that doesn't, that doesn't change after we become a Christian. So if we're trying to, trying to build a house on the shifting sands of, of our own devotion to Jesus and obedience to Jesus and, you know, completely pure motives and all the rest of it, we're not going to find anywhere to build the house and it's going to collapse. So just like our salvation is built on the rock of Jesus, our assurance of salvation has to be built on that rock as well. Mm-hmm. And then, just tell our listeners again, I know in, in your book, What is the Gospel? You, you do talk about Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I, I just, I love that because that's, that's what he does. He saves us from eternal damnation. He spares us from separation. He gives us life and abundant life. And I just love talking about Jesus Christ, the Savior. I bet you do too. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I spent, spent the better part of my life talking about, talking about Jesus week in and week out. Yeah, it's just it's an amazing thing that that he did, right? To step down from from the throne of heaven to give up the the adulation of the the angels and take on uh, uh, humanity, become a human, you know, irrevocably. It's not like Jesus, you know, just put on human skin and he can take it off when the job's done. No, he is human. The second person of the eternal Trinity is human. That's incredible. It's amazing. Um, and uh, you know, uh, live and die and then rise in order to save us. It's it's the most epic, beautiful story. Uh, and reality that, that has ever happened in the history of the world. Yeah, it is. Um, when you think about it, it overwhelms. It overwhelms me when I think about it. When you yeah. read Genesis and you start to think of the ways in which God created the heavens and the earth and put the stars and the sun and the sky and the moon, and you go just like it says in Psalms, "What is man that you think of him? Mere man that you care for him?" And yet He did to the point where He left that elite status of heaven and came and became flesh and died for our sins. Yeah, so amazing. I mean, you just, you, you're not surprised when you see Paul several times in his letters break out into uh, praise, you know, oh, the depth of the riches of the mercies, of the, you know, all the, I don't have it memorized, but you, you know what I'm talking about at the end of Romans 11. Right. Paul, Paul worships and praises, and that's exactly the right response. Greg, let me take a little break. Uh, Greg Gilbert is the senior pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville. Did I say that right this time? You're getting closer. We'll work on it. Thank you. I appreciate you being patient with me. (laughs) You know that place in Kentucky. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Greg Gilbert. He is the senior pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in a very popular town in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> author of many books, uh, What is the Gospel? Well, the one we were just chatting about has sold a whole bunch of copies, and for good reason. He's a good, clear thinker and writer. And there's another book that he put out, um, I think it was last year in 2019, called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. And to be honest, Greg, I want to hear a little bit about each one. Discover grace, let go of guilt, and rest in your salvation. Yeah. Well, see, the, the discover grace part, I, it, it's not that Christians don't know what grace is, right? We, we, build, our, we build our lives on the, on the idea of grace. The gospel is about grace. I think subtly what happens over time, though, is that a lot of Christians are perfectly happy to say that they were saved by grace. But then then when it comes to remaining saved or or being sure that God is really going to save us or being sure that we really are saved, the focus shifts subtly away from grace and onto works. And so what we get when it comes to our sense of, you know, am I really saved? My sense of assurance is that a kind of assurance by works, sort of like salvation by works, but it's assurance by works. It sort of slips in the back door. Um, and we're perfectly happy to say, yep, salvation is by grace. Uh, but, but in order to get a sense of assurance, what I need to do is look at my works to nail that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think at all that that's what, that that's what the Bible says we ought to do. Well, okay. Having said that, talk about what, um, what works does going forward once you're saved. I don't, I'm, works is not the right word I was looking for, but I don't have to do acts of service. I get to. Yeah, well, and the Bible says, Jesus himself says, and you know, other places in the, in the New Testament say it too, that good works are the fruit of a good root, right? Mm, the, root yep. being, the root being our, our salvation, our saved heart, right? And what happens is that once you're saved and once, once Jesus' resurrection life begins to course through you and change things, well, the, the tree, that's you, get healthier and you start to produce healthier fruit, um, and it's good to see that, right? I mean, you can, you can see that fruit uh, on the tree, and, and that can give you a sense that, wow, this, you know, there, there is resurrection life flowing through me. The Holy Spirit is, is working in me. I, I think the trouble, though, is that a lot of Christians will, will treat those good works not as a kind of, uh, uh, it's almost like it, you can use an analogy of a car. That's what I do in the book. Um, in a car, the speedometer doesn't make the car go faster, right? Uh, the speedometer just reflects whether the car is going and how fast it's going. Well, our good works do have the same function when it comes to our assurance. Uh, you can look at the good works and you can say, ah, the car seems to be moving, right? I seem mm-hmm. to be, the Holy Spirit seems to be working in me. But if you notice that the speedometer is not as high as you want it to be, there aren't as many good works as you want, you can't just sort of reach up and push the needle on the speedometer higher and expect the car to go faster. In other words, you can't just start doing a bunch of good things and not doing a bunch of bad things and expect your sense of assurance to to increase. That's not how it works. What works is putting your foot on the accelerator, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the accelerator once you drop the analogy when we're talking about assurance? Well, the accelerator would be to, to spend time deepening your understanding and appreciation of and love for the gospel of Jesus and the promises of God. So as you meditate on, on those and as you think through those, what you find is that the car starts going faster. You, you understand that God's promises are irrevocable and the gospel 
is beautiful and it is an invitation to you that you have accepted and that Jesus will keep those promises. And, and that makes you deepen in spirituality and love for Jesus, love for God. And then what happens is that the fruit starts to pop out, right? The speedometer reflects that spiritual growth that's going on in your heart. But it is not just a matter of uh, doing more good things and doing less bad things. I mean, that would be like to go out into a, a, the yard and find an unhealthy apple tree and think that the way to fix that tree is to just start duct taping apples up on the branches. <laughs> you can't do that. Mm -hmm. you have to, if you want the tree to get healthier, you have to tend to the root, right? You have to go right to the root, right to the promises of God and, and the gospel of Jesus. Mm. Let's talk about uh, letting go of guilt. And for starters, I'd love for you to answer, what do you mean by guilt? What is, what is guilt? Yeah, well, I mean, guilt is a, guilt is a forensic term, right? So Yeah, I mean, what are you guilty that, about? Pri primarily, it's, it's, a, it's a judicial declaration from God that you, gotcha. you are condemned, right? You have committed sin and rebellion mm. against God, against the Creator, and you are therefore guilty. Um, but we also have a sense of, of, of guilt that is a feeling in our own hearts of, of being aware of that forensic guilt recognizing it and feeling bad for it. That's what, that's what it is. The reason that, the reason I say they're let go of, of guilt is that it's, it is so insidious, but I think a lot of Christians actually think that the longer and deeper they feel bad about their sins, the more they're going to earn God's favor because he'll see how bad they feel about their sins. And, and I, I, I think what the Bible would say, actually, is, is that what we ought to do with our sin is not hang on to it and feel bad about it for as long as, and deep as possible, but we ought to see our sin, recognize it, condemn it, take it to Jesus, find forgiveness, and then get on with our lives as Christians, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what, I mean by, that's what I mean by let go of guilt. I just mean you're not earning anything. You're not winning anything by sitting around wallowing in your bad feeling about, about your sin. It's good to feel bad about sin, but then it's good to really, really quickly turn, declare war on that sin again, but take it to Jesus, find forgiveness, and get on with life. Mm -hmm. What if you sinned against me, and I always seem to have a way of bringing it up every time I see you? Yeah. Stop you taking my calls. A, you and I are going to have to have a lot of conversations, I think, about it. Yeah. But I mean, there's certainly sins that have been committed in relationships where it's hard to let it go. Oh, that's right. There yeah, could be course. abuse. There could be things, infidelity, where where it's it's like, yeah, yeah you've let go of your guilt because God has forgiven you, but maybe other people haven't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So, you, you know, there will be consequences for sin and, you know, forgiveness has to kind of interface with that and interact with, with it and... Somebody who's been who's been sinned against, um, I think, can f forgive and yet still not forget. And sometimes it's not even wise to forget sin that's been committed against you. I think at its root, forgiveness is a matter of uh, ho hoping, right? Well, first knowing that justice cries out for that sin to be punished, mm -hmm. and then forgiveness is is to is to genuinely get to the point in your heart where you can hope that justice and wrath are poured out on that sin in the face of Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross and not against that person. I think, I think ultimately that's what forgiveness amounts to. So it's, it's not a, forgiveness is not a setting aside of the desire for justice. It, justice is a good thing and we should want it. We should want God to pour out wrath against, against sin. Forgiveness though says, you know, I, I have come to the place where I hope 
that that wrath is poured out on your sin, but in the person of Jesus dying on the cross and not you. Mm. I like that. So, Greg, talk about resting in your salvation as well. It's another piece of this I want to learn more about from you. Yeah, well, you know, if, uh, uh, if, you, know, if you know deeply what the gospel of Jesus is, um, it calls us to rest. It calls us to, to, to lay, down the, lay down the sword and let Jesus pick it up for us uh, rather than continuing to try to earn the favor of God. Um, you know, and the, the, the core sort of, you know, baseline for the coming in of the, the good news about Jesus is that you, you've already lost that war. You lost that battle a long time ago. Um, and you can keep, you can keep fighting it, but you're going to continue to lose it. And at the end, you're going to be told that you have lost, or you can, you can rest. Uh, you can, you can lay down the sword, let Jesus fight the battle for you, uh, and let him save you. You know, there's so many great passages in scripture, um, I love Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. All you need is to be still. And I think of the ways in which God will fight for you. Uh, there's a conflict and always a struggle for many people, including myself, to want to um, figure out a way to, to produce an outcome. Oh, yeah. That's just hardwired into the, yeah. <laughs> into the human psyche. But, you know, I mean, the whole story of the, the Old Testament is, is about how the Messiah... Uh, his very job is to fight the battles of his people, the battles that his people can't win. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even when you start to get a, a first look at uh, uh, at the king of Israel, David, you know, he, he, the first thing he's doing is sort of proving that he is the guy God has chosen to be king because he he picks up the sword and he goes out and he fights Goliath on behalf of the people while Saul, the pretender king, you know, is, is hiding under a, a basket or whatever he was doing yeah. at the cowering and not fighting his people's battles. So what, you know, what, what the Lord was teaching his people there was that the job of the Messiah is to fight battles that you can't fight for yourself, which of course goes back to Eden, right? Because, because Adam should have crushed the head of the serpent when, when the serpent invited him to join his rebellion against God. But instead of crushing the head of the serpent, Adam joined the rebellion, the world falls. But the very first promise of gospel that God makes to him is I'm going to send somebody else and he's going to do what you failed to do. He's going to, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then that's what Jesus does. Yeah, it's just a fantastic story. I don't think I ever, ever get tired of hearing it, ever. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I, I, and, the, and, the deeper, and the deeper you go into it, the more uh, riches you, you, you see to pull out of it. Yeah. So uh, what is your most current project and what can we look forward to? Oh, most current project? I am working on a book that is, uh, it's tentatively called Broken. I'm not, I, we'll have to think about that title a little bit, but yeah. it's essentially going to be a, 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 doc, a doctrine of sin, an evangelical doctrine of sin. The only reason I don't, I'm, I'm not crazy about that title, maybe we can clean it up a bit in the subtitle, uh, is just that uh, sin is not just the fact that we are broken as if it was a passive thing. Right. You know, it's that, it's that we rebelled right so maybe maybe we'll call it something more like rebellion or something but mm-hmm. at any rate that'll be the next book it, it's not gonna be out for a long while yeah so but i love the fact that that's a subject you're you're going after and uh, talking about writing about i think that we don't talk about sin enough i try to talk about it on the show all the time because we need to be mindful of the fact that we are sinners that needed a savior and apart from being saved we will perish and have an, a christless eternity and that message is, needs to be told every day. So true. Every day, every hour. So, Greg, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule 
mm. hunkering down at home, sheltering in place to uh, do the show today. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's really good to, to you know, quote unquote, meet you. This, this is about as good as anybody can do these days, though. It is. I know. I, I don't I don't love this. I would love to meet you in person, but I know we share a mutual friend, David Wheaton, and I know we both uh, love David. So I figured just by proxy, we'd like each other. Awesome. Well, yeah, yeah come on. Come on down to Louisville sometime and we'll, we'll make that happen. Where is that again? Say that, <laughs> you, you say say that again. <laughs> Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. Yeah. I don't know why I freak out every time I try to say that. But Greg, thank you so much, and I look forward to your next project coming out. I'll uh, love to have you back on the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me. You bet. Greg Gilbert has been my guest. He's senior pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's the author of uh, What is the Gospel? And Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation, and many other books as well. He's also a regular contributor at thegospelcoalition.org. You can go check him out there. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.